What a wonderful morning it is to be here this morning in the house of the Lord. I hope you found so far the services are according to God's will. If you're a visitor, we're glad you're here, has been mentioned by Justin. You're our honored guest. We hope you'll find the things that we do come from the scriptures, because that's our desire to do so at this location. I hope you'll find the things that I have to say also come strictly from the word of God. For it is my hope that everything that I say is of the truth. We have been going through a series of, of lessons, almost a year now, and we've come to this one here about teaching and edification in the assembly. Unfortunately, you have me to give this this morning, but we are in the assembly, and I'm going to do my best to edify you. But it's really what the scriptures say about that and edification. You know, David, long time ago, said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Were you happy you're here this morning to praise God, our God, to have prayer on each of our behalfs, to be together as believing children of God, sons and daughters of the Almighty. It's a good thing to be in the house of the Lord. Psalmist 25 said, show me your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths, lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation, on you I wait all the days. Humans cannot understand God or know what God wants us to do unless he tells us. In the Old Testament, it was very rigid and rules and regulation, but the psalmist here says, teach me the truth. So I can do what you want me to do. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. What are your laws? What do you want to come? And I shall keep it to the end. Give me understanding and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I observe it with my whole heart. Are you interested in doing what God wants you to do? All of it? Are you interested in, in putting yourself into it and taking that which is written and that which is taught, study it, and do it with your all of your heart. The psalmist was. Before we get into some New Testament scriptures about assembly, I wanted to speak for just a minute about some examples in the Old Testament that I think will lead into the lesson as we go. In Exodus, the 35th chapter, the first verse says, Then Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said unto them, These are the words that the Lord hath commanded you to do. We can find through all of the Old Testament, which is an example for us today, how that the, they gathered together. Now, I didn't count them all, but there's ten or more. Where that's referenced where they gathered the children together to do what? To learn about what God wants them to do. In Leviticus, the eighth chapter, God said, And gathering all the congregation together at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting, so Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the congregation was gathered together at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, This is what the Lord commanded to be done. How did those people know what to do? Many of them could not read. They certainly didn't have copies of the law. How long did it take to write it down? Not all of those people could have a book. So how did they learn? They learned because they got together, they assembled, and, and Moses stood before them and said, this is what the Lord wants you to do. And so they learned of the things they should do. In Joshua, the eighth chapter, we find here that, first of all, Joshua had 
and the children of Israel had come over the, the river Jordan. And they went and they conquered Jericho. God gave them Jericho. The walls fell down. And then they went and they conquered the king and his soldiers of Ai, the king Ai. God gave them that. And they conquered it. And what happened? Joshua paused. He stopped. And he said, in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on a stone a copy of the law of Moses, which, had, he, had, which he had written. How long did it take to write on a stone? the whole law of Moses. And afterwards, he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, when the women and, with the women and the little ones and the strangers who were living among them. Joshua did as Moses did. He brought all the people together, everybody. And he said, look, this is what God told Moses to do. And he told, and he cursed us, and he blessed us if we'll do the things that we're supposed to do or not do those things. How did the people learn what they were supposed to do? They did it as a group of people together. And in this case, Joshua told them, this is what Moses said, and he was directed by God. One more example we find in the Old Testament in 2 Kings, the 22nd chapter. Joash was eight years old when he became king. Can you imagine being king at eight? And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Je Jebediah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkoth. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in all the ways of his father David, and he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Was this man a righteous man? Was he trying to do his best? Was he a good king? Scripture says he was says he tried to do just as his father David did. And we know that David pleased God. He was interested in doing what was right. But you know what? He didn't have all the information. For we find that he's, he sent a group to repair the temple, to put it back together. It had fallen into array, disarray, excuse me. And it says then, Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shephon, the, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord and... Hilkiah gave the book to Sephon and he read it. So they didn't have this book. It had been lost in the temple. No one knew what it said until they read it again. Then Sephon, the scribe, showed the king, saying, saying Hil Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Sephon read it before the king. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. He said, we're not doing this stuff. And here it is in the, the word of God. Moses has sent to us. He said in the 12th verse there, then the king commanded Hilkiah and the priest and a whole bunch of other guys, I'm not going to read their name, saying, go, inquire of the Lord for me, for the people, for all, for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Joash was worried. He said, we're not doing what God wanted us to do. And so he's got to be angry at us. Now, here was Joash. Joash was a good king. He was trying to do his best, but he didn't have all the information. Do you think in the last day when we stand before God, it's going to be acceptable to say, I didn't know that. Is that going to be acceptable? Or nobody told me. Joash didn't think. He said, you better find out what we need to do because we haven't been doing what God wanted us to do. 
All right, so now let's turn into the New Testament and look at things. First of all, I think there's some really interesting things. If you look through the New Testament, the best I can find, there is no place in there where the church met in a church building. They didn't have this building. They didn't meet like this. It's not required. Today, we use church buildings. But back then, we don't find anywhere where that was even very important. It wasn't written down. In Acts, the 17th chapter, it says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollyana, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as a custom went, was, went to them, and for three Sabbaths teached reason with them from the Scriptures on a Saturday, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. He said, this is the one you've been looking for. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. It says it was a custom of the Apostle Paul to go to the synagogue first, try to convince the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. In this case, in this scripture, he did it three Saturdays in a row. Some believed, some didn't. In Acts the 18th chapter, the 7th verse says, And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice. This is Paul. One who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Where did they meet? They met in this man's house, Justice. And he was right next door to the synagogue. In 1 Corinthians 16, the church of Asia Churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. People met in houses. These people met in Aquila and Priscilla's house. I think it's interesting in Romans 16th chapter where it's mentioned again. It says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ, Jesus, whom risked their own necks for my life, to whom now only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. I want to point out something here. We don't know when he says, who risked their own necks for my life. We don't really un know exactly what that was. It's not given to us in the scripture. But one thing I do know, it had to be extremely dangerous to have a congregation meet in your house. The Jews were trying to stamp out Christianity. They were trying to destroy it. And for you to mark your house as the place where people met, how easy it would have been to burn it down or to meet there and beat you and pull you out. It took faith to have the church in their house. Not like we. We have such freedoms that we can come and worship and not worry about it. I want to give you a couple of stories, or actually one story put together. Many years ago, when we were still over at Well Street, I remember this vividly, and I think part of this because I happened to be speaking that Sunday, but we had no power in the church building. And I, I can be corrected, we can be corrected after services, but I'm almost sure we went to Larry and Vicky's house for services. I think that's where we went. It's too many years ago. People in the world would said, man, it was crowded. No, it was intimate. It was nice. We met together. We praised God. We prayed. We had a lesson. We met around the table, and it was in their house. COVID's come along and didn't know what to do there, and Franklin's family, they offered their barn. A group of us went out there and helped them clean it up, set up chairs. How nice it was for those that were there to be out there, hearing a cow once in a while or a bird in the rafters. 
But what were we doing? We were assembled and we were worshiping God. It doesn't have to be a church building. It has to be a place for the saints. What getting into this study, as us that have talked about doing these topics, you end up thinking about some things you probably never thought about much in the past. But you know, when did they meet? The church began at Pentecost. We know that the apostles received the Holy Ghost. We know that Peter stood up and he spoke to the Jews there, the multitude, and he gave the first gospel message that was received by thousands. We consider that the beginning. Now, Pentecost is the 50th day after the Passover, and I'm not very good at the Jewish history and stuff, but 49 days is, would be a Saturday, and the 50 would be the first day of the week. So Pentecost, the first day of the week, was when this occurred. But, you know, if you read in Acts 2, continuing on down there where this happened, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. There's no date there that they did that. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, they did it every day. And breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with, with each other with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Again, they met house to house. They broke bread. They had meals together. They were fellowshipping together. But there's no real mention here of a service on Sunday. Whether they had them or not, I don't, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's not there in that early church. But by the time the church began to spread, it is very obvious that the apostles set up the first day of the week as they must have been commanded by the Holy Spirit and by Jesus Christ. For we find in Acts, the 20th chapter, now on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to part the next day, spoke to them and continued his message unto midnight. That's what Lonnie read for us this morning. Why did they meet on the first, first of all, when? On the first day of the week, but their main purpose, it seems, was to break bread or to have the Lord's communion and while they were there, Paul spoke to them with a message until midnight. So here it was established. They were meeting on the first day of the week. Last week, Monty talked about contribution and, and giving back to the Lord. In 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter, and the second verse says, On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there is no collection when I come. They obviously were meeting on the first day of the week. It had been established in, in Corinth, and they were meeting there, and he said, by the way, since you're here already, you need to put something aside so it won't be gathered when I come. So obviously they were meeting regularly on the first day of the week. Well, why do we meet? Why are we here? Why are you here? Why am I here? Hebrews, the 10th chapter and 23rd verse says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We need to hold fast the confession of the hope without wavering and be because we've been... Promise faithfully. Let us consider one another. We are here together to stir up love and good works. By being together, we can exhort one another. 
and we can be together knowing that the end of time is coming. In 2 Timothy 4, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convincing, re convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, but because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Now, I think that the Apostle Paul talking here to Timothy, he was an evangelist. He was going about spreading the word. But also, it's pretty obvious from reading this that they were concerned about the assembly. They were concerned about you and I that we might be drawn away by false teachers, that we might be do something because it sounds good. But we don't want to be drawn away from fables. And you and I need to make sure that the scriptures teach what is taught from the in Acts the fifteenth chapter, the nineteenth verse says, Therefore I judge that we should not trouble them from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. Remember, the Jews wanted the, the converted Jews to Christianity wanted the Gentiles to be like Jews. And there was a big stir about it and they had a big meeting. And James finally at the end said, But they that, that we write to them, abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses had had throughout many generations those who preached him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Meeting in an assembly like this, we read from God's word, just like they did in the Old Testament, that every Saturday Moses was read. You and I have the word of God in front of us and we assemble together and every Sunday we ought to spend some time in the scriptures. It's good for us. We learn from each other and from different points of view of what the scriptures are saying to us. Ephesians, the third chapter and the eighth verse. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which is from the beginning of the ages have been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. What did the Apostle Paul said? He said, my job was to go to the Gentiles and do what? I was going to preach them the mysteries that they had missed out on, the mysteries that the Jews had missed out on. And it's hidden in God's word, and it needs to be brought out and taught. And 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which is with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. The apostle Paul said, you don't have to just do what I say. It's in the scriptures. But if there's someone else that has preached to you and you believe them, that's great. It's the fact that, they, you, that preaching was done and that people believed. We know, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How did the people of the Old Testament know what they should do? It was read to them from the law of Moses. How are you and I as Christians know what we're supposed to be doing? It's read to us in the scriptures, or we can read it ourselves in the scriptures. But that's where faith comes from, from hearing and hearing from the word of God. But let me tell you, it's not just someone who has been converted that we talk about. 
but it's you and I. Our faith is strengthened because we together in an assembly study the Word of God. We read the Word of God. We look at the hopes that are there, the promises that are there, and that builds our faith. Why? Because we hear it. In Romans 15, chapter, second verse says, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it was written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. You and I need to be with each other, and we need to talk with each other, and we need to edify each other. For whatever thing was written before was written for our learning that through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. That's the hope is there. As Christians, we have a hope that is in those scriptures that are written there, and you and I and the assembly can enjoy that together. In 1 Corinthians 14 chapter, the word edification is used four times, four times to edify. He was interested in edifying. One of those examples in 1 Corinthians 14 chapter, the 26th verse says, How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you have a psalm, have a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation, that all things be done for edification. You know what? I'm up here speaking to you. And I'm trying to get it out of the scriptures the best I can. But when you and I talk together, and hopefully we're gonna, most of us will be in a meal downstairs, we talk, hey, it's a happy time. We have psalms. We, we can teach each other. We have a revelation of, oh, I didn't think of that. Or, yes, there's another way to look at that scripture you wrote. It's not negative interpretation. It's, oh, I understand. Or have you thought about it this way? We need to edify each other. You and I are children of God, so let's do that. In James, the second chapter, one of the things, before I start reading this, something I wanted to say. The assembly we have here is unique in many ways, and we could make a list. But one of the things that's unique as is we're all equal. All of us are equal. And the reason is if we've all sinned, we've all fallen short, and the only thing that saves us is Jesus Christ. Nothing else matters as far as our status, we're all equal. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there, if should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? He says, we're all equal. There shouldn't be a partiality. And you know, in Galatians 3, where he says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Am I a bigger son than you? Are you a better daughter than me to Christ? We're the same. For as many of you as baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Can you imagine the original group church in the beginning? They had Jews that had never spoken to a Gentile or to a They had Gentiles that had multiple gods that were now only one God sitting next to that Jew. They had the wealthy 
and they had the slave. But you know what? They were all equal in the sight of God and in the assembly. I'm going to skip that, sorry. As we end the lesson, are you glad you're here? Oh, wait a minute. Huh, I'm sorry. I have completely lived out of Scripture. It's not. I want it, and I'm going to do it anyway, although I won't be able to quote it. If you remember, the Apostle Paul was in Thessalonica, and there was a lot of trouble. Things were stirred up. It says the brethren snuck them out at night. And again, I'm not quoting it. And they went to Berea. And it said that those in Berea were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they studied the scriptures to see if the things were being said were the truth. Now, let me ask you a question. Are we like the Berean brethren or like the Thessalonican brethren? It is real easy for me if you say something to me that I don't think is right or I'm not sure what you mean, that what I'll do is I'll go put up my defenses and I'll find scripture that supports me, that supports what I believe. That's not what the Brian brethren did. They went and studied the scriptures, <coughs> excuse me, to see if what was being taught them was the truth. That's different. That's a different mindset. It's easy to do the first because you might be right and they might be right, but you'll never know it if what you're going to do is your first inclination is to go find scripture to support you or me to support me. And I'm sorry that messed up the lesson, but sometimes I get messed up. Are you glad you're here? You should be. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. In the, the thing is, as we said, this is a unique organization that are all equal. And if you're not a child of God, you're not a son or daughter of the living God. You need to be. You need to enjoy the things of this assembly. You need to enjoy the fact that you can be blessed by the Son of God. If you've been sufficiently taught, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you confess your sins, repent, you can come and be baptized, have those sins washed away, and guess what? You can be part of this assembly, an equal member in the kingdom of God. There's someone accepted the gospel call. We ask you to come as we stand and sing. Song selected.